Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. For those of you that are, haven't been with us, or just a reminder, we are in an eight-part sermon series in the book of 2 Timothy. We're kind of coining it, keep calm and carry on. If you've been with us, you understand why we're using that phrase. But in essence, this is Paul's final letter to his son in the faith and young apprentice, Timothy. This letter is full of charges and exhortations and final instructions for Timothy as well as for us. The intent or the purpose or the goal, if, in a sense, of, of Paul writing this, is that these charges and these exhortations uh, are, are for us so that we may live and serve Christ in such a way to get, to, for, the, for God to get all the glory and for the gospel to spread with maximum impact and fruit. What's going to be most fruitful for the gospel going forth? Listen to these charges. Listen to these instructions. Put them to, put them to practice. See, Paul ha- had fought the good fight. He'd finished the course. He'd kept the faith. We're going to learn of that in chapter 4. But he's on the eve of himself, the end of his ministry, the end of his time here on earth, about to die because of the gospel. And we too, though, in this room, are running a race. These are Paul's, really God's instructions on how we too can fight the good fight and finish the race. Some of us, we just started. Some of us, we're we're midway through it. Some of us have got a lot longer to go. Some of us are nearing the end. But we're all in this race. We're all a part of the building of God's kingdom, and these instructions and exhortations are for us. And so let's read our text this morning, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13. I'm reading out of the uh, NASB. Um, If you don't have a Bible, though, I have it on the screen. It says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of Of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules." The hardworking farmer ought to be first to receive his share of crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Join with me as we pray. Lord God, we thank you for this section of your word this morning that you've given us. We ask, Lord, that we would receive it as the word of God this morning. It wouldn't be anything of me, Lord, or 
And the other thing, that we receive wholeheartedly what you have to say, knowing that this is your God-breathed and God-inspired word. We know, God, you preserve this word for us, that we might find yourself in its pages, that you might show us what it means to love and to live for you. And Lord, we pray, God, for, for a deep work to happen in every single one of our hearts. That you would free us from distractions. Free us from burdens, cares, and worries that we're all thinking about. Thank you, Lord, that you're bigger than all of them. We, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to really have our full attention on who you are and what you've done and what you have for us this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, Have your way. Lead us. Speak to us. Anoint this time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as usual, Paul is saying a lot. There's a lot going on. There's a lot he's he's trying to get across, and he's he's pretty quick about it. And uh, we're going to try to look at all of it today. Um, Some things not as in-depth, but we're going to see this theme or this these few things that he's trying to get across. And really there's three different things that he's saying in this section. Be strong, pass on, and remember Jesus. The first is, you know, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, verse 1. Pass on or teach others to do the same, verse 2. And then at the end, verses 8 through 13, it's remember Jesus. He is the reason why we do this. We're going to look at those three points as we move through the text this morning. But verse 1 says, Therefore, be strong, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What we need to note is that this verse is connecting to chapter 1. It says, therefore, because of what I told you in chapter 1, therefore, now, now this truth is coming about. It's also connecting what he's saying today and throughout the rest of the letter. It's really important that we see what Paul is doing here. And the the truth that Paul is getting at. It may be only a few words in one verse, but it's really important that we we hone in and see um, chapter 2, verse 1, and what it means. Paul speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith. Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That word strong there literally means empowered. It's the same word used in Ephesians 6, chapter 10, as Paul is instructing the church at Ephesus of spiritual warfare and the armor of God. Before he describes all the pieces of the armor, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Ephesians 6, 10. Timothy's strength was not his own. It was a divine gift. Charis, found only in Christ. See, Timothy was to find his resources for ministry, not in his own nature, but in Christ's grace. And that that is very true for Timothy, right? He's timid Timothy. Paul is not telling timid Timothy here to just, you know what, Timothy, be a man. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Stop being fearful. Stop being ashamed. Just get over it. That is not what he's saying. What Paul is saying here is, Timothy, you cannot be strong on your own. 
Your strength is not of your own. It is a gift from God. It's by God's grace. His unmerited favor and gift to you that you do not deserve is what makes you strong. See, all these these challenges and these charges and these exhortations that that we've seen so far, the last two weeks, today, throughout the rest of the book, See, these charges or exhortations cannot be achieved or able to be done apart from the strength of God. They're they're literally impossible. And what God asks for us can only be done by the strength that God gives us. If God is asking you to do something, it's going to be impossible to do on your own. Just, Just know that. Just stop and don't even try to just do it on your own strength. This is what I believe Paul is getting at here. Paul's saying all these really heavy things. Join with me in suffering. Don't be ashamed of anything. Do not fear anything. These are are like monumental, huge things for Timothy to grasp. And Paul, is what what he's saying here is that these charges or or these God-given charges to us are not intended to overwhelm us or frustrate us. Or um, because they're unattainable. Because if you're young Timothy, timid, frail, young, persecuted, suffering Timothy, your your mentor in jail, imprisoned, suffering, going to die, tells you to do these things, I'm going to tell you right now that you're overwhelmed. That you're you're, you're frustrated because you're like, Paul, there's no way this is going to happen. That's you. You're Paul the Apostle. I'm timid Timothy. We're done here. That's for you. It's not for me. It would be easy to do that. And sometimes when we read the word of God and when we see what God is calling us to and what he's requiring of us and when we see what he's calling us to, we many times can become overwhelmed and frustrated because what God is telling us to do may seem unattainable. Well, The good thing is we actually are in a pretty good spot because they actually aren't attainable apart from Christ. What God asks us to do is not attainable apart from the grace that God allows us and gives us to, to carry those things out. What it would seem Paul is doing here is reminding Timothy of his utter need and dependence on Christ for everything. You know, in order, Timothy, to not be, uh, excuse me, in order to be unashamed, fearless, courageous, bold, we must be dependent upon Christ. And Paul is is illuminating that need by the way in which he says, be strong. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We, as believers, need to be dependent upon Christ's strength in order to be empowered to live for Christ. That dependency that we all need, that that Paul is speaking about here, comes from a place of humility. See, dependency takes the humility to know that we can't do anything apart from Christ. Right? 
We need to first get to the place where we can say, yeah, apart from Christ, I can't do anything. And I'm in need of Christ to such an extent that everything in my life is dependent upon Christ showing up or not. Or, or Christ giving me the strength to carry this out or not because I cannot and, and am not designed to do this on my own strength. Jesus said this. John 15, 4 and 5, he told his disciples this. Speaking of himself, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to get this. Not just intellectually, we need to get it. We need to understand this truth on such a deep level because it, 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 it's, it's really the foundation to, to being able to live for Christ in any real way. So to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, what that requires, to be strong in Christ requires receiving and walking in God's grace. And to do that, we must first humbly admit that we cannot do it without him. And secondly, we must posture our prayers and our lives in full dependence upon God. And and when we do that, it, it will change everything. It's intended to. It'll change your mindset. It'll cha- change the way you, you think about obeying God. When you read the word, it'll change the way you read the word. You won't be overwhelmed and frustrated that you can't obtain it. You just know that you are in desperate need of Christ. And so without Christ, you're not going to be able to do this. But praise be to God that he gives us a helper. And he gives us his grace to, to do these things. It changes your prayer life. It changes your prayer life. When you're dependent upon Christ for everything. Right? Instead of just forgetting to pray, like a lot, you know, a lot of us will do that. Get up, you got your morning routine, I gotta get breakfast, I gotta get dressed, I gotta figure out everything before I go to work, and I go to work, and then I have all these emails, and I got these meetings, and then I have lunchtime, and I can meet with that person, and then I get off at five, and then I go meet with someone, or I'm tired, or I got something that night, and then all of a sudden you're like, why? Well, I didn't even pray today. Happens. Totally happens. But if we have the mindset that literally we cannot do, we can't live for God in any significant way, we can't serve God, we can't love people uh, right out of our own strength, if we're, if we're just like, man, I cannot do this, you know what you'll do in the morning? Lord, I, I, I cannot even do anything unless you fill me up with your Holy Spirit and you give me the strength for today because apart from you, I can do anything. When you start praying like that, watch God move. When you have that mindset set through the day, when, you, when you're in a constant attitude of just, just dependency and humility, knowing that, that it's not about you, it's about Christ, and you can't do anything apart from Christ, it'll change your actions. It'll change what you do and what you don't do. It'll, it'll radically transform you. When, when you know that it's only by God's strength and his grace that he gives you, that you're able to do anything. Here's what that doesn't mean. 
Some people will say, well, okay, I just need to wait on God then. God, just God's going to use me when he's going to use me, and I can't do anything apart from him. And so unless I feel like a really strong sense of God, I'm just going to sit. I'm going to do nothing. This is, this is a problem. This is a problem. I'm going to, well, I shouldn't go there. Well, I'll just say this. This, our, well, okay, I'll just say it. Millennials love this. Sorry, but it just, it just lends to this younger generation going, okay, someone else is going to do it. I'm just going to wait for it. It's going to come to me when it comes, and I'm not just going to go get, go do it. Sorry, it happens. Not for everybody. It's a general stereotype, but it's hard. This is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. That's not even what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying, do, do a bunch of stuff. Do it crazy. Do it hard. Do it gnarly. Do it forever and die doing it. That's what Paul's saying. Be strong. Go out. Preach the word. Guard the treasure. I mean, he is telling us to do more in this letter than almost any other letter. He's not just saying, don't do anything. He's actually saying, do everything but by only the strength God gives you. And nothing else, Timothy. Timothy, you can't do this. And if you try to do it on your own, you'll either find out that you weren't designed to or you won't be capable of doing these things apart from Christ. So don't even try. But that means don't, don't, do any, don't do nothing then, Timothy. Just get filled up by the Lord and receive God's grace in your life and then go serve him. This is a, a paradigm that we see at reality is ministry flows from intimacy. First, be with the Lord. Know the Lord. Get filled up by the Lord. But, but then go and serve the Lord from that overflow. Go tell others. Go to the ends of the earth. Go make disciples. Do all those things still, but first be with Jesus. Because you cannot do those things without Jesus. It's only by his grace that gives us the strength to do those things. So, so for us this morning, what does that actually mean? How do we grab hold of that? What does that look like for us? You need to be asking yourself this morning, maybe what areas are we assuming we can do it on our own? And you, and you are. We need to ask ourselves, in what ways are we trying to do stuff on our own and it's not working? You hear that a lot. I'm just trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. And I just don't see God moving. Does God want you to do that? Just stop real quick and just ask the question. Like, have you first been with Jesus? Have you heard Jesus? Have you, like, been filled up? Are you being led by the Spirit? Or are you just trying to make something happen? But, 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 but we need to think about this. Where are we just on our own strength living the life? It might be a lot of places. I would challenge you, as Paul does, that apart from Christ, you can't do anything. And so allow this truth to sink in and change your mindset, your prayer life, and your actions. Amen? And knowing Paul, he just jumps right into it. Timothy, you got that? Let's go. I'm going to tell you to do some more stuff. Right? Verse 1, it's pretty important. You have to get it, Timothy. So get it, and let's just go on. This is what he does. Verse 2. It's, 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 if you think of it this way, it's, it's, if you're reading this from Timothy, you know, this is insane. But wait, what? 
Jesus, okay, I got him, but keep going, okay, okay. Paul says this to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 2. He says, The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is, this single verse is probably the most succinct definition of discipleship throughout Scripture. What's discipleship? 2 Timothy 2.2. Start from there. You can look other places, but what's discipleship? What does that even mean? 2 Timothy 2.2. Some would call this the, the ministry of multiplication. And it's God's method for propagating the good news of Jesus Christ to the whole world. And honestly, I wish we had like four Sundays on this because I love talking discipleship. I think as the church, we so miss out so many times on like the call to discipleship and we just aren't doing it. And it's a big deal that we're not doing it. I mean, it's really a big deal, but I got to keep it short. I can't go there. I'll go a little bit. But this is what it is. This is what discipleship is. If you want to... Discipleship is teaching others how to walk with, live for, and serve Christ. It's also this. Different way of saying it. Discipleship is being used by God, if you're doing the discipling, is being used by God to shape others into the image of Christ. God is using you to shape them into Christ. Into image bearers of Christ. What's important is that we do need to read the command and commission that we have from God. All of us, I'm sure, have this memorized, and every pastor probably says it way too many times. But do you know why? There's actually not too many times to say this, but it's because I don't think we're getting it. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the reason why we like over and over, is because I don't think we're getting it. We're not understanding that this is for us. So let me read it. Once again, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came up and spoke to them. This is Jesus died. He rose again. Uh, He's about to ascend to the Father. He's speaking to the disciples. He says this. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's for all of us. This is not just a missions verse. Oh, because it says go to all the nations, that means like only for the select people that... Only for those really crazy people that go to the nations is this what it's for. No, it's talking about every single person in every single nation on the planet. That means all of us. That means our coworkers. That means our neighbors. That means our nation. That means the world. Every, every single people group is included in this charge and in this commission. So here's what I will say. Every single one of us that knows Jesus Christ you got to be saved. You're saved. You know him as Lord. You should be discipling someone. That's it. There's nuances. How do I do it? I'm, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot there. Totally. But that truth still stands. It doesn't change just because you're scared or don't know how to do it. Right? 
And that's what we need to see here. This is a command and a commission by Jesus. As much as any other command or commission by Jesus. We got to disciple people. We got to go make disciples. We got to go make little Jesuses. Serious. We're saved. We know the truth. Go. Go. Grow as you disciple. That's okay. Day two of being a believer. Go disciple someone. You might mess up. Just say sorry. You might do it bad. Oh, okay. Sure. Who does everything right? Who, who does things well besides Jesus? Not a lot of us. I mean, nobody. Really, you, know. you know, Jesus models discipleship, though. He totally does. With the first 12 disciples. He picked 12 normal, ordinary dudes. He spent three years doing life with them. Right? Community with them. He walked and they ate together and they traveled together. They lived life. Jesus performed miracles in their midst. They asked questions. He taught them. Uh, he showed them. He, he, he taught. He showed. He, 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 he modeled to them who God was. And, that, and that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is allowing our own personal walks in our own personal lives with Christ to be an example or model to, to, to other people. That's why Paul would say something like, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not about Paul. He's like, I'm just living for Christ. And so, so, so live in that same way to honor Christ with your life. Follow me as I follow Christ. So how should this play out in our lives? Jesus is telling us. Paul's telling us to do this? Well, we're to, we're to engage. We're to do it. We're to, we're to pour into people. We're to equip them. We're to, we're to walk with someone else and draw them near to Jesus. See, discipleship in essence is training and grooming someone to maturity in their faith and equipping them for service. Well, you're like, well, I'm just doing that myself. That's okay. Do it with them. It's okay to be like mutually discipling, to discipling each other. That's okay to do. And the way you, you actually do this and engage, the way you get good or understand it or grasp or figure out how to disciple someone, it's just to go for it and put yourself into a discipleship relationship. There's many nuances to that. Again, I wish I had like a long time. There's many books out there too on this. But here's what I do want to say. Don't complicate this. We're really good. Humans are really good at complicating simple truths of Scripture. Oh, well. Oh, what that means. You can't disciple that way. Where did you see that you can't disciple that way? Right? Like, honestly. And, and what happens is we, we complicate things, we, and we complicate it to a fault that we just don't do it. And discipleship doesn't happen because we've made it something that it actually isn't. For me, it had to start somewhere, and I made a lot of mistakes, and I've done it bad, and I've learned myself on what works and what doesn't. And it's just taken time, and everybody's different, and discipleship is a science and it's an art at the same time, because people are people, and so they're different, and so the way you talk to them is different, the way you interact, where they're at in their faith are different, but there is a science, and there's, there's, there's truths of Scripture that we have from God that we're to share with them. And there's things that God has done in our own life that we can testify to and walk them through. 
There's, there's real things we can hold on to. It's an art and it's a science. The big thing, though, is that we need to participate in this church. Uh, the last few years, I've taught our internship here at the church. And, you know, there's a couple dozen interns every year or so. And every single time, I do like a four-week class on discipleship. And, you know, you'd think, like, these people have been at our church. They've been Christians for a long time. They've been in and out of different churches and, and ministries. And a lot of them are really mature. And you ask, like, how many of you have been discipled? Like, two people. How many of you have discipled yourself? Like, one person. It's, it's insane to me. And if anything, let's not have that happen anymore, church. For those of you that are like, know what I'm talking about? You're like, discipleship is everything. And I would say like, yeah, it's one of those, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) And then what do we want? Let's glorify him with our lives. What else should we do? Make disciples. Because this is what I want to make you understand. Well, evangelism's the most important. Well, yes, but... In order to disciple someone, they need to be saved first. So actually evangelism is, is, is yes, yes, get them saved. 100%, obviously, get them saved. Go tell them about Jesus. But then disciple them. Teach them how to teach others. Walk with them. Show them what it means to be a follower and a believer of the Lord. And allow them to go and do the same. Ministry of multiplication. See that? <clears throat> okay, I'll, I'll get off my discipleship box for a second. Get a drink of water. Compose myself. <clears throat> Paul gives it to Timothy. Jesus commands us. We got to go do it. There's a lot more there. We can talk afterwards. But Paul goes on. He goes on. We're at, I'm going to go a little fast, but verse 3. Paul says this. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has listed him as a soldier. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be first to receive his share of crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything." There's three illustrations Paul's bringing up here, very common to that day. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And there's, there's purpose why Paul is doing this. It's not just haphazard, it is connected. These three illustrations have in common the point that, you know, for their, for their synology, success, for us, fruitfulness, is achieved through discipline, hard work, and single-mindedness. What Paul is trying to do is he's saying, Timothy, be strong in Christ Jesus. Tell others about the things I've told you to do, but also don't just do nothing. It comes back to that point is work hard, be single-minded, and be disciplined as you serve and love the Lord. There's parts of your character, Timothy, that need to involve these things in order to be fruitful in ministry. And he uses these examples. You know, a soldier, uh, you know, back then, uh, a Roman soldier it would be. Um, <clears throat> and and he, a Roman soldier would have a single-minded purpose. 
have rigorous discipline and unquestioning obedience to his commanding officer. They were, they were known for these traits. These traits would combine to make the figure of a soldier in this illustration an apt one for a servant of the gospel. Timothy, be single-minded. Please your commanding officer, that being Jesus Christ, and be disciplined in your relationship with him. Paul goes on to speak of an athlete. This metaphor uh, would clearly draw on the athletic games like the Olympics of the day. Every athletic event, as you guys know, have its boundaries, its rules. Uh, Moreover, all who fail to discipline themselves to observe those rules are disqualified. If you break the rules, you're out. Paul wanted Timothy to run his life, run run in such a way to win the crown, so to speak. We'll get to chapter 4. And not be disqualified. This illustration would seem that it requires a Christian to have strong qualities of discipline, self-control, endurance, and a certain toughness. Paul is saying in the same way an athlete competes, you too, Timothy, should have these qualities in you. My phone is ringing. Oh, emergency alert. Flood warning. Sorry, just don't, I shouldn't have said it. Is your phone doing that too? Okay, Lord. Wow, really? Okay. Well, let's just pray for the flood real quick. She's leaving, leaving. House. It's flooded. Um, I don't know what that means. Maybe some of you are worried, so I'm going to pray for you. Lord, flood warning. God, you control the wind and the weather, and you're able to calm storms when need be. And so, God, we just pray for all of us in here that may have homes that maybe are just a little nervous about this flood. We just pray that you'd calm our nerves and that no homes or people would be hurt or damaged in this. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know. I just don't want you to, I just want to sit, just not leave. It's hard to come back. Hard to come back from that. <clears throat> okay. Should have turned my phone off, but then you'd all be looking at your phones. And I wouldn't know why. All right. Okay, so athlete, soldier, athlete. Okay. Last one, farmer. Paul emphasizes this idea of a hard-working farmer. And what it's doing is it's contrasting idle, lazy workers. Paul says, Timothy, you are not called to be idle and lazy. You're called to be hardworking for the kingdom of God going forward. But again, only with the strength that God gives you. This is the takeaway from those three illustrations as we move through the text. The diligence Paul has just described in each case has its reward. A diligent soldier gains the approval of his commanding officer. A diligent athlete wins the victory and a diligent farmer wins the first share of his crops. So with our walks and with our service to the Lord, would these attributes describe us? When when it's to our relationship, when when it's with our personal devotion, are we disciplined in our personal devotion to the Lord? That's one. That's really hard for me. Like to be disciplined every morning before anybody gets up in the house because I know it won't happen if I don't. My discipline to get in the word of God. For us that, that, that we read the word and we know we're called to, to live a certain way, are we disciplined and hardworking and are we, are we um, 
Are we pursuing the Lord and his calling in our life with these attributes? That's what we need to ask ourselves. Paul moves on and he continues in verse 8 by saying this. Read with me, 2 Timothy 2, 8. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. What Paul is doing here is he's reinforcing how we are to be strong in Christ. Timothy, I've told you all these things, but what you cannot forget is you can't forget Jesus. You can't forget the reason why we're suffering. You can't forget the reason why we're enduring this persecution. Jesus is the reason why we suffer. He's the reason why we can endure. And I love this because Paul is clear to give the credit to Christ. Paul is constantly reminding us who the true hero is of the story. It's not Paul. He's telling young Timothy, I know you look up to me, Timothy, but it's not about me. I look up to someone else. It's Jesus. And he conquered death because he rose from the dead, Timothy. He's our hero. He's our champion. He's our victor. He's our Lord. Paul, in essence, is taking the attention off himself and he's rightfully placing it on who deserves the honor and recognition. Amen? He's putting it on Christ. And Paul would go on to say that, you know what, Timothy, I may be in prison, but the word of God is not. That is such an incredible statement from a man that literally himself would be chained at that moment penning this letter. Some translation would say, I'm in chains, but the word of God is not. One of the greatest themes of the book of Isaiah, specifically from chapter 40 to 55, is, is this section of uh, the living and abiding power of God's word. I'm just going to read a few verses from that section from the prophet Isaiah. It says, All flesh is grass, and all its glory is like flowers in a field. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. He goes on in chapter 55 and he says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and don't go back there, but the water, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seeds to sowers and bread to eaters, so shall my word be that that goes out from my mouth, that it will do what I plan and succeed in the task for which I sent it. Well, Paul and what we would see this truth to mean is that you may be able to stop the messenger, but the message cannot be stopped. Do as you wish to me, but the word of God will endure forever. Paul ends this section with a wonderfully comforting truth as well as a sober warning to young Timothy. 
In these last verses, verses 11 through 13, many, many think this was a, a hymn or a song, something that they would recite or say at the end of, of, of corporate prayer. But in verse 11, it says, this is a trustworthy statement. And then they begin to, to sing something like this. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. These, these verses consist of two pairings of sayings, which are general truths of the Christian life. The first pair relates to those who, are, who endure faithfully, and the second pair describes those who are unfaithful. The idea in the, in the first section is, is of dying with him, in order to die with him, we have to die with him to live with him, probably refers to dying to self as we take up our cross and follow Jesus. Jesus said this similar thing in Mark 8. He said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. In order to truly live, Believers must die. And in Romans chapter 6, it says that we share with his death in order that we might share in his life. Baptism being an outward display of that, of a symbol of what God's done inwardly in, in us. The Christian life is depicted as a life of dying. It is. A life of enduring. Only if we share Christ's death on earth shall we share in his life in heaven. Only if we share his sufferings and endure shall we, reign, shall we share his reign in the hereafter. Listen to this. For the road to life is death, and the road to glory suffering. See that in Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 4. The other pair of sayings brings us to uh, a bit of a more sober, excuse me, sober, dreadful possibility of us denying Christ. And it's a, it's a hard way for Paul to end this little section. But it's a letter, so it actually is not ending. But it's a good, it's a sobering way. The first phrase here, if we deny him, he will also deny us, seems to echo the Lord's warning in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who's in heaven. If we, who have professed to be Christians, turn away from Christ, we deny his name, we deny his lordship, then it's pretty clear that he'll deny us. But, but what this is referring to, this is referring to what we would say an apostate behavior. Once you truly knew the Lord... But now you're completely denying him. You're denying his lordship. You're not denying his death and resurrection. You're not denying the power of the cross and the gospel. I mean, you're, you're denying the Lord. It's not temporary. It's not fleeting. It's not because of fear. You deny him. It says that, that the Lord will deny us. But what this is referring to here, this last part, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. This is, this, is, this is speaking to a different temporary faithlessness and fear. An example would be Peter. Right? You're like, well, Peter denied Christ. Yeah, but Christ didn't deny him. 
It's because, you know, Peter denied Christ out of fear. He didn't want to be associated with him. Jesus was going to the cross. He himself was fearful of that. And he shouldn't have done it. But then we see Peter radically redeemed and set free and filled with the Holy Spirit and preached the gospel. Just read the book of Acts. It's the same Peter that denied Christ because he was faithless at that moment out of fear. Timothy, in this moment, may be questioning. He may even have doubts. I don't know if I want to go down this road. I don't know if I want to suffer as Paul suffered. I don't know if I want to endure. I just want a nice, comfort, peaceful life. Timothy, like many of us, there's, there's times where we might question if we're, we want to do this. It's so hard to follow the Lord. It's so hard to obey Him. There's so much sacrifice. But this is an incredible comfort to Timothy and should be incredible comfort to us that we can be fickle, but God is not. We can at moments be faithless, but God is always faithful to his people. Amen? And the takeaway from this saying here is that God remains forever himself. The same God of mercy and of justice, fulfilling his promises, whether of blessing or of judgment, giving us life if we die with Christ in a kingdom if we endure, but denying us if we deny him just as he warned, because he cannot deny himself. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the comforting, comforting part of that is even when we falter, and we fail, and we, and, we, and we stumble, and we fall. God is still faithful. Amen? I want to end with just some closing thoughts, just to kind of wrap up what's been said this morning. Church, Santa Barbara, reality Santa Barbara, we need to remember Jesus Christ. We need to remember the one who conquered our enemies and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he does give us sufficient grace every day that we may endure hardship. And if we endure through him, we will reign with him. That's the promise. But brothers and sisters, we have a perfect example in Christ Jesus. We have a perfect example to receive grace from and to be strengthened by. And it's by his grace that we're strengthened. He's the reason why we can suffer joyfully. He's the reason why we can endure. As God calls us to all these things, and for many of us, he's called us individually to others. Let us walk in the humility to know that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And let that truth allow us to be far more dependent on Christ than we are right now. Let it change the way we think, the way we pray, and the way we live. And allow God's grace to strengthen you to suffer as a good soldier, a disciplined athlete, and a hardworking farmer, so to speak. And if there's something I just want to leave you with, it's Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, as we, before, we, before we worship. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially that sin so easily trips us, us, us up. 
And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiated and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become tired and weary and give up. This morning, this week, lift your eyes to Jesus so you won't become weary and give up. Like Paul, look to Jesus to to allow us to run this race with endurance that is set before us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you so much, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for its power. Thank you that even though there may be moments where your your servants are imprisoned and chained, thank you that your word will never be. The truth of your word will never be. And this morning, God, we, we look to you, Father, as the perfect example, as the one that endured perfectly. The one who suffered perfectly. The one who obeyed you perfectly, Father, but did not sin. We want to remember Jesus. We want to be strengthened by the grace that comes from Christ this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do that? Would you show us what that means? Would you, would you help us to, to really walk in that grace now, Lord? We want to walk in your strength, not in our own. So, Father God, we ask that we would Humble ourselves, be dependent upon you for everything. Lord, we want, we want our lives to change and different. We want to pray differently. We want to have a different mindset. Lord, we want to not forget you, Father, and what you've done. Help us to fix our eyes upon you. We want to worship you now and declare of all your marvelous deeds. We love you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.